You have to pardon me a little bit this afternoon. I'm getting over a cold, so I have a nasal sound to my voice, and poor Father Ganell has had to listen to me not be absolutely totally tone deaf during the masses today with my lack of being able to breathe right. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about our first reading, the book of Genesis. It's a great book, one of the first works of literature in humankind, and I have to confess, I haven't given it the respect it's due at points in my life. It being the book of Genesis, it being written long, long time ago, you think man has gotten smarter and smarter and more wise, and this is prehistory almost, so therefore they must not have very much to tell me living in 2018. But the fact is that as I've reflected on it recently, reading Genesis, I've really come to appreciate the wisdom and uh, just absolute knowledge that we can take from these early chapters at the beginning of the Bible. There's so much to understand about anthropology, what it, what it is to be a human being, living in community, our relationship with God, our relationship to nature. So I just want to share a few of those reflections. Right off the bat, at the beginning of this reading, it says, it is not good for man to be alone. So God has just created everything. He looks on his creation and recognizes it is good. Right there, it's so beautiful to say that God looks at us that he has created and says, you are good, we are good. But it is not good to be alone. God did not create us to be alone. This understanding that even God himself, we believe in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, while it's one God, there is that, that life there between three persons of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a life-giving of love within the Trinity, and that's reflected in creation, that's reflected in us. We are not to be individuals. We focus so much on the rights of the individual and, and, and my rights being put down by the man or whoever. But the fact is that from a biblical understanding, from a Catholic understanding, we really live in relationship to one another. We really live in relationship of community, of church, of family, and knowing that we are all here to help each other on this journey. Within this parish, we're here to help each other, to be the best Catholics we can be. So God wants to find a suitable partner for man. He has the animals, love animals, love, I've had dogs my whole life, love dogs. I'm sure Adam had a pet lion. That would be so cool to have a pet lion. He's hanging out with lion. But as cool as the lion is, as cool as the dogs are, animal, whatever, insert your favorite animal. It wasn't a suitable partner. It wasn't on which Adam could share the joys of life with. So God puts him to sleep and takes from his side a rib. And from that rib forms a woman. And you can hear maybe some people of our culture look at this and say, I don't like that language. I don't like that, that painting of a relationship that women comes from man, almost that like they're below men. Or, that's totally wrong. That is not what this word, these words are saying. It's the exact opposite. This is an elevation of, of what it means to be a woman, what it means to be that, that last creation that God gives to earth. For what is man created from but the dust? We say from dust you were made and dust you will return. There's different words for, for earth and dust and the dirt, 
But this word, dust, that, word, that man is made from, is that same word that in a little bit, in the next chapter, Christ, uh, God, is going to banish the serpent to the ground to crawl on its belly and to eat the dust, which is that same stuff that man is made of. So essentially, the serpent feeds on men, which is a whole different reflection and homily there. But the fact is that, you know, women, they're made from that which is the image and likeness of God. Man being the image and likeness of God. That which is the image and likeness of God is what women come forth from. And finally, Adam is able to look at a suitable partner and says, ah, this is someone I can share my life with. This is someone who I can journey with. And here we have the joining of two to become one flesh. Here we have a, uh, what, what says man will leave his father and mother to cling to the woman, to become one flesh. And that is what Christ is talking about in the gospel as he talks about marriage. And this is not just um, a throwaway word. None of these words are. To cling, to cleave. It's a covenantal language. And what's a covenant? But God's promises to humanity, God's promises to his sons and daughters, us as human beings, on how he will relate with us. That from all of creation, he will be there for us. Going back you know, to Noah, I will be there for you. It doesn't matter how many times you fall, how many times you turn from me. I will still be there for you as your God. So the same way God clings to us as his creation, and he created us to experience his love and continues to give us his grace so that we may say yes to his love, the same way that we cling to God as, as our creator and ultimately who we hope to join in heaven, that's represented in the clinging between a man and a woman. That you're saying, my life is no longer my own, but that I lay down my life for you. In marriage, you give up your life. You say, I love you. But if you talk to a young couple, that might just be, you know, making breakfast for them in bed, which is a very nice thing. I'd love if Father Ganella made me breakfast and put outside my door. But that's not laying your life down. That, that's laying your life down. Christ dying on the cross, that's what love is. And as, as a man and woman gets to know each other over the years, and I don't know this, I'm 27, I'm not married, I'm working to be a celibate man, but I've talked to people who are married and they've explained this to me and I'm passing it on to you, that you learn to know what love is over the years. You learn to know what it means to lay down your life through marriage. An example of this is, uh, and bear with me for a second, but, but welding, actually, that when you take two pieces of metal, the word that they use in this uh, action is to marry the metal together, to take two things and through heat and fire and all that chemical stuff, that you marry two pieces of metal together. That at a molecular level, there is no seam between the two. There is no um, separation. But that the metal actually becomes stronger. That if I took a hammer where the two metals were melded, uh, welded, it won't even break there. Because what, what might have been those two pieces of metal is now molecularly stronger through the marrying of welding. This is an analogy, but it's the same thing. That this coming together of two people to one flesh, 
that reaction makes two people into one. It's a beautiful language that we find from Genesis and again in the Gospel. And, and Christ says in the Gospel that no human being can separate this bond, but that it's actually a vocation, right? So marriage is a man and a woman coming together, but it's the will of God for this to happen. The same way that uh, a priest would have a vocation to be a priest or a nun to be a nun, that marriage is something that God says, this is my ingredient in creation. That the same way my love springs forth through the creation, I, I choose you as a man and you as a woman to come together and to bring life bring life forth into the world, to continue to allow more sons and daughters of God into this world. It's beautiful language. It really speaks that, that a man is supposed to be a father, and a, and a woman is supposed to be a mother. Her role of bringing forth life into the world, when we talk about matrimony, when we talk about maternal, the word matrimony, if you break it down, it actually means making a, a woman into a mother, making a woman into uh, this honored role of bringing forth life, that highest creation, the last gift that God gives to the earth in, in regards to creation, the suitable partner. I don't have to convince any of you that right now the family is under attack. Uh, marriage is, is under attack. We see that in every aspect of our culture. But as I said at the beginning, we are not to do anything on our own. And the fact is that this is a family. This is a community. This is the church. And that when we have any struggles going on in our marriage, in our family, in being a mother, in being a father, I hope you really do see this parish community as an outlet to help you along this journey. And that there are groups of people who get together to help marriages, to help build marriages. Any of the priests or, or the deacons, myself, seminarians who are involved in this parish, we want to help build marriages. We want to help the families grow closer to Christ. So pray about your marriage. Pray about how are you deepening your love for your spouse, for your children. And as we receive communion here in a little bit, I invite each of you to pray for the families of this parish, to pray for the marriages of this parish. For God knows each and every one of us would be here today. Each of us would be a part of this parish. And he's put us here to help each other grow closer to Christ. So know that I'm praying for you. <clears throat> the priests are praying for you. And let us all build this parish into a parish of marriages and, and family, and that we can have each and every one of us bring us closer to Christ and help each of us grow closer to our ultimate destination of heaven.